1: Welcome everyone to the third edition of Big Blue Banter, a relatively new Giants podcast that aims to dive into the X's and O's. That's what I love. That's what my co-host Nick Turchin loves to do. And we're going to take an analytical look from a game tape standpoint, Nick's specialty. And at every single player on the Giants roster, we're not just talking the starters. We're not just talking Odo Beckham Jr. and Saquon Barkley. Our goal is is to break down everyone. And today I'm excited because this is our training camp preview. We're going to feature three of my favorite position battles heading into training camp. Three battles I think will shape this Giants 2018 season. We're going to dive into another Pat Shermer offensive concept. We're going to talk Janoris Jenkins and what went down yesterday, everything I know now because it's the elephant in the room. And, of course, we're going to touch a little bit on the Odell Beckham Jr. potential for a holdout. This is Big Blue Banter. Let's get this rolling. I'm going to throw it now to Nick. How's it going, Nick?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. uh, Alive and good as always.
1: (laughs) That's always good to be alive at
2: this time of the year, especially. Yeah, very slow in June. Twitter is
1: dead if you haven't noticed. It's like unbelievably quiet out there. (laughs) It is unbelievably quiet uh, out there right now. This is the time of the year where fans are even taking a break from the NFL. The only time of the year. But we're still here because we know training camp is on the way. And we want to give you a preview of that. So we're going to jump right in before. But start. But first, of course, we have to start with the news, the elephant in the room, the Janoris Jenkins situation. So yesterday uh, at about 5 p.m., it was revealed that police in the Fairlawn area of New Jersey discovered a dead body in the home of Janoris Jenkins. However, Janoris Jenkins was not in the state at the time. He has not been in the state since the end of June minicamp on the 15th. He uh, has two houses. His other home is in Florida, where he's originally from. He was there. Um, hasn't been home in a while. so as of now he's not a suspect at all. He's not a person of interest. however, the body found was a friend of Janoris Jenkins and of his family. Um, Janoris Jenkins' family had been living in his fairlawn house uh, when he was away. not positive he was if they were also living there uh, when he was uh, you know when he's in town, when he's playing for the Giants when he's in New Jersey. but the most recent update we do have on this is that, the police have now identified Janoris's brother, William, a 34-year-old man, as a person of interest in this case. Not a suspect, not a suspect, but a person of interest. Janoris has reportedly, at least according to Josina Anderson of ESPN, feels okay with the situation. Uh, he is not, like I said, a person of interest at all, not a suspect. The Giants and his lawyers have advised him just stay in Florida. He obviously was not around for whatever went down. And those are the details we have now on the situation. It's a terrible tragedy. I do not want to, you know, speculate on anything here. I do not really want to make any opinions about the situation. Because remember, in the end, this is a case of a man who passed away, uh, a young man who passed away um, in the home of Janoris Jenkins. But for now, uh, I would not worry about this too much if I was Giants fans. I would wait for the details to come out. We did see a video of Janoris' neighbor uh, in Farallon. And she, she uh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she basically said Janoris has been a perfect neighbor since moving in. Really polite really helpful uh, in the community, in the neighborhood. So as of now, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Nick, did you want to add anything on that, or can we jump uh, right into the good stuff?
2: I think we can jump into the good stuff. I mean, this just touches a little bit on, on the depth of the secondary, but, again, we'll get into that later. And and there is no issues on the depth now as as in regards to Janoris. It's just more about longer term, like, you know, we have two very good cornerbacks now, but behind that is a question mark.
1: Right. And I did an article today, actually, that uh, I made the point that the, the, t- the headline of the article is cornerback is a position that could be the Giants' fatal flaw in 2018. And I'm not going to dive into too much of that at this time. You can check it out on Giants and 247sports.com. It really dives into what I really started to think about once this Janoris Jenkins uh, you know, incident came out. And I wondered, hey, what can the Giants compete if Jenkins is, in fact, suspended? And the answer is no, uh, even if Jenkins is going to play. And we'll, again, we'll dive into this. Another time. But even if Jenkins is going to play, there's two key issues to worry about with this Giants cornerback position. And those issues are, in fact, one, the depth of the cornerback position, because behind Janoris Jenkins and Eli Apple, the Giants are lacking depth. There's no doubt about it. And then the other thing to worry about is the nickel cornerback position, which we'll touch on another time, currently occupied. By William gay, but for now we're going to dive into another position in the secondary and that's the deep safety role something a lot of people are worried about and for good reason. And I want to throw it to Nick and ask if Darian Thompson can potentially emerge as a post type sleeper Thompson entering year three former third round pick was a ball hawk at Boise State injuries have limited him until this point in his career. What are your thoughts? Can he be a post-hype sleeper?
2: Yeah, you know, I did a fair amount of, of work of Darian Thompson and actually have a piece that's going to hit in uh, pretty soon, I guess, is the way to say it, um, over, at, uh, over at something I'll talk about later at the end of the podcast for where I was recently brought on. Uh, but anyway, uh, real quick on the breakdown on Darian, uh, you know, very good uh, getting downhill against short passes and intermediate routes. Uh, can take really good angles. Um He's not a real thumper but generally a good fundamental attack, fundamental tackler uh, if he doesn't get the hip or the thigh he's gonna get the legs um you know against the run he plays with great closure to the ball to the ball carrier uh you know in that five to ten yard space he doesn't hesitate most of the time and has good football intelligence he actually had a 29 on the wonderlick too did you know that he's a pretty smart guy so in terms of recognition um, he's seeing some good things there um, as a blitzer i like him as a blitzer uh, uh, you know, and from around the line of scrimmage, he closes in pretty, pretty nicely on the quarterback and has the ability to shed blockers or, uh, yeah, blockers on the way to the quarterback. So really featured a lot of that through two games in 2016, um, before his injury, it was ended up being a list Frank injury after, um, after two to three weeks, I believe on the bench, uh, as he was kind of nursing his foot. Um, so anyway, the reason why I'm jumping into this is that's most of what he can do if you notice that's not a ton of not many deep safety traits uh, he certainly um, was a ball hawk in college with 19 interceptions uh, so his issues though what what he kind of struggles with um, is he doesn't have a great initial burst um, many guys want to look at his 40 time and criticize that I would more look at his play speed his play speed is not tremendous it's kind of average and that's fine if you have a good processing good mental processing to stay ahead of things it's when he doesn't. And when guys get behind him or press him vertically, that he kind of can get into a difficult position. And I think Giants fans are going to know that through through watching the film through, through through 2017 that there are you know a fair amount of examples here. He looks a little lost in coverage at times. Uh, you know, I have a few notes here about you know he opens to the wrong side, just really kind of almost like rookie mistakes and rookie fundamentals that he's still working through. And I think that that's a big part of uh, I think that's a big part of where he is in the process now is 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 still a work in process to 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 get there. I do think though in terms of a fit um I think that he will uh I think that he's at, and I think he's going to play a lot because his uh, for for him around the line of scrimmage and for him in kind of out of a too deep look where he's basically a middle range safety or a robber safety whether it be cover 3 um in in a, a buzz role as a buzzing safety or cover 1 robber role um, where he's kind of moved up I think that's a real good spot for him because of his of his high of his high kind of football intelligence. Uh, but something in terms of patrolling the, the deep safety right now, it's it's still a
1: work in progress. Yeah, Nick, and you mentioned a lot of good things I want to dive into there. And we start with what you said about, you know, he was still making a lot of rookie mistakes last season. What fans have to remember is that he was essentially a rookie last year. You mentioned that he suffered the list Frank injury. He only played two games with the Giants. Uh, uh, played two and a half games with the Giants I believe or one and a half I'm sorry he played half of that Dallas Cowboys game in week one of his rookie season then the entire Saints game and then he tried to nurse it through all the way through the Giants bye week and then they kind of gave up on him a list Frank is a super tricky injury it can return at any time um, you know you have to have kind of a mental confidence to get over it in future games and future seasons and It's possible that Thompson is still kind of learning the tricks of the trade at the safety position in the NFL. So that's something I want to look forward to as a potential for, you know, maybe the light will turn on. But again, we're talking about a guy who missed all of minicamp this past month with another injury. Um, Now, Thompson is expected to return for training camp. There isn't really much information on his injury right now. But again, he missed more time. And these are valuable reps that somebody like him, who you mentioned, is making a lot of rookie mistakes, needs to, needs to have. And then you uh, talk about kind of how he might be best in a robber role. It makes a lot of sense. You know, he made a lot of plays around the line of scrimmage during, during the games he has played. But the, and, and, and the issue for the Giants is this. Listen, do they need another robber-type safety with Landon Collins in the mix and with a player like Curtis Riley really, really stepping up uh, in minicamp? And we'll touch on Riley in a little bit. Um, But do they need another robber type safety? I'm not so sure. I mean, we know this is a team that wants to use a lot more single high safety this year, that wants to use Landon Collins as more of a roaming chess piece, and they need a compliment for him. Now, I will say this when it comes to Thompson. I actually am a little more optimistic uh, than you are as far as it goes uh, for Thompson in a deep safety role. I think back to that Saints game from week two of the 2016 season. Um, That was a game where Drew Brees and the Saints, and this is before they had Alvin Kamara. This is when they were more of a vertically attacking team. Failed to complete a single pass of 25-plus yards in September. Nice weather in MetLife. Can't blame it on that. Um, The Giants' defense limited to Breeze. Breeze is just six yards per passing attempt, which is an accomplishment for any defense. But Thompson played a big role in that as the deep safety in that game in a game where the Giants really didn't generate that much pressure uh, from their pass rush. So that's something that always stuck out to me. And then also in week one of his rookie season, I'll never forget the time when he really came down. And like you said, this is when he was playing more of an interchangeable role, came down. Down from one of the safety spots, came across the line of scrimmage and stopped Ezekiel Elliott on a draw play for a negative, it was for a zero yard gain. And this was a play where uh, it really stood out to me. I, don't, I haven't seen too many safeties have that kind of you know break on the ball that Thompson had. Um, and again, like we said, Landon Collins is the type of player who can drop in deep coverage. You would agree with that, correct, Nick? Yeah,
2: no, that um, it was something that as I was watching the Giants last year, we do have to remember. Obviously, they're mostly too deep. But uh, in the rotations, when they would roll to either cover three or some other type of uh, of rotation, uh, oftentimes Collins was taking the uh, the 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 deep safety role. So he definitely has that. I do think that he, you know, he's it's not really his go to place, but it's definitely something where he was he was he functioned there well. Um, And the one thing I would say about Betcher, I'm still trying to dig up the the statistics here, but he plays too deep a little bit more than people realize. And it's not a traditional two deep where, uh, you know, where both safeties have the same depth. Right. Uh, oftentimes he actually liked to move. I think it was Tyron, I forget the, the safety's name in Arizona. He played kind of a short safety um, on the weak side. And so it, it's interesting. I think that Betcher, can, Betcher likes to rotate a lot of defensive backs. That's definitely the case. Um, and I think that they're, tr- they're going to try to find as many of those as they can. And that's why I think that, you know, Thompson will definitely be in the mix, at least, if not the starter, just because he, he, he has enough leadership as well as enough good traits getting downhill that it's that it's totally worth it for uh,
1: for him to, to still be around. Right. And you make a great point there, Nick, because we don't have to look at this as a black and white. There will be right. two starters, Landon Collins and X. What well, we can look at this like is everything we've known from James Batcher's defense. You made a great point because we talk a lot of single high safety on this podcast, and I talk about it a lot on Twitter, but it's not exclusive single high safety. No no defensive coordinator uses that uh, exclusively, obviously. That would be way too easy to game plan against and exploit. But what he could do, James Batcher, and what he's done in the past with Arizona is a heavy rotation all across his defense, and that's exactly what we saw during spring OTA practices and mini He mixed in four different players at the safety position with Landon Collins and Darian Thompson sideline. We're talking about Andrew Adams, who's, you know, arguably the Giants' best coverage safety, although I think he has issues tackling at the final level, something I also have issues with Darian Thompson. We'll get, But that's another story. Um, Mixing in Michael Thomas, the free agent addition from the Miami Dolphins, who followed defensive backs coach Lou Animer, Animer, I'm pronouncing this guy's name wrong, Lou Anamur. And and Aramo, I think it is, but I'll have to double check that another time. But he, who's now the Giants defensive backs coach, Thomas followed him. And, you know, he may have an upper, upper leg in that competition just because he may, the coach may see something that he liked that, you know, the Dolphins didn't fully utilize. Because again, Thomas was mostly a special teams ace with the Dolphins. So he's been mixing in with the first team unit. They could use him to his strengths. They've also used Curtis Riley, a guy they signed from the Titans and again, The Giants signed a cornerback's coach from the Titans, and now Riley followed with him. But Riley actually made the transition last season from cornerback to safety. And during minicamp, he was starting to step into, you know, a first-team role at safety. Here's what James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, said about him. And this touches – I'm going to tell this quote only because this touches on what you just mentioned, Nick, how the Giants may actually use a rotation at safety that tries to fit the safeties – into the into the, uh, into the roles that fit their strengths. So Curtis is a guy, this is what Betcher said, Curtis is a guy, we all know he's played corner, so he's got really good, great feet and hips and range. And the thing I'm probably most proud of him about is how he's picked it up, playing safety, because that's a change. You go from playing outside and you go to inside. So he's already talking about going to inside, so more of a nickelback, slot role. And some of the checks and the communications in one minute you're put, you're in the post, the next minute you're down, or playing in the half field, or you're blitzing off the edge, and some of the duties that our safeties have to handle here, like those specifically, he's done a really nice job with that. So I'm excited for him. Getting to training camp and he's competing to work with that first team unit and grow over these last few months. So again, the thing I take away from that mostly is that He's been using Riley in a specific role. And that's something we talked about all offseason, Nick, uh, with this new change in the coaching staff from guys like Steve Spagnuolo and Ben McAdoo to Pat Shermer and James Betcher Guys, coaches who, instead of trying to fit <laughs> a square peg into a round hole, these are coaches who look at the talent that they have on the roster and then try to fit their scheme around it. So I think that's what we're going to see at that safety position, and that should be really interesting. And I think both me and Nick, if we had to make a prediction now, would agree that it will be a rotation at the safety position next to Collins. Is that where you stand, Nick?
2: Yeah, I think that I think that Thomas may emerge as the real as a real kind of slot hybrid, um, and I think they're going to I think they're going to run a fair amount of big nickel actually. Um, so with three safeties in nickel instead of a true nickel back, uh, and uh, I think that's going to kind of be going to be a good shakeup for them with the talent that they have, uh, like you said, with the talent that they're that they're dealing with right now.
1: Yeah, of course. And they're not, we always knew this is a team that had three wins last season. They were never going to be able to fix every single one off season, but they don't have to. I mean, we have teams that you know go on runs in the NFL that have glaring weaknesses. The Jaguars had glaring weaknesses last season, but still made a run because they were really, really good at what they did, at the few things they did. So we're going to actually uh, shift over now to another training camp battle I'm super excited about. And that's for this number three wide receiver role. Um, and right now the front runners are Cody Latimer, the free agent acquisition from the Denver Broncos, a guy who was a former second round pick and Hunter Sharp, another former Broncos player. The Giants actually had last season and actually started in week 17 for the Giants uh, in their win over the Washington Redskins. I'm going to throw it to you, Nick first. What have you seen from these players? And I'll talk a little about, bit about what I saw from them in spring OTAs and minicamp.
2: Sure. Uh, starting off with uh, Cody Latimer, a uh, bigger guy, 6'2", 215 pounds out of Indiana. Back in 2014, he was in draft in the second round. Um, so like you said, came out of college with good size and strength, did 23 reps of bench at the Combine. He's a guy with very good athletic ability, very good at making – in fact, I think he really enjoys making acrobatic catches <laughs> with uh, with high-pointing high pointing balls, even if they don't need to be high-pointed. Um, he's – he loves to compete uh loves to compete for contested balls. He played a f- very a, a fair amount. I think it was a lot of special teams at Denver where he was basically behind the depth chart between their very strong wide receivers uh years 2015 through 17. Uh and you know won a won a Super Bowl in 15. So is a guy who who understands what it takes to win in terms of uh in terms of a of a team. Um he's a very solid blocker. Um I would be a little careful with him around the line of scrimmage. He, I think he needs a little help in terms of technique. I think a few guys in the Giants need a little help in terms of their technique to be consistent. But you know, as a guy who's 6'2", 215, he certainly does not shy away from con- from contact. Uh, he, he played a fair amount of the slot, um, out of the slot in Denver, which I thought was kind of interesting for someone his size. You know, Traditionally now with college players or with college teams using the speed guy, the speed demon in the slot to create mismatches, here he's almost like a throwback to that old slot receiver who's bigger and can help uh, can help provide mismatches on smaller nickelbacks, um, and you know guys like Waldman Matt Waldman uh, compared him to a slower Keenan Allen. I don't know if I really agree with that. I kind of more like like Kenny Britt, uh, but not as flashy. And the big question. I think people would have at, at, up to this point is like, you know, you know, Nick, you've you complimented pretty good. What was the deal? If he played with Peyton Manning, how come he kind of, you know, was not, he didn't have a big role in that team. And I think really doing, looking at the film and or the lack of film for, for when Peyton Manning was there, uh, he had some issues with basically Manning's game plan and Manning's execution. When you say issues, um, Manning, I don't know if people understand or get that kind of Manning, didn't run a ton of plays. It wasn't like he had a massively expansive uh, playbook. Uh, Peyton Manning was was his his whole the, the difficult part with playing wide receiver or him are the level of checks and audibles that had to go on at the line of scrimmage and number one, following them alone I think is pretty difficult. Number two, executing them within different sight reads, depending on what the defense does in the middle of your route is what is 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 a is a, is massively crucial in uh, in Peyton's um, in Peyton's offense. And quite frankly, that's kind of where he lacked. And so does this does this say that he, you know, met his mental processing his issues? You know, where is the issue live? If, if it's, uh, you know, or where does this come from? I'm not really sure. The bottom line is, too, I think that, you know, we all remember tape of Peyton being pretty demanding in terms of kind of, you know, staring guys down after uh, after missing or making a poor read. So I think for a rookie, he, he kind of, or a younger player developing, he kind of, you know, got a little frustrated. He did have an incident. I forget if it was something involving some run in with the police, too, as well. Um, so this is a little he's a little bit of a project almost but he's someone who last year really showed in the back half of the season he really flashed to me as a guy who who wanted it as a guy who was willing to kind of do anything to catch to catch balls and understanding that you know he was kind of at a partner's point in his career where he really needed to do that to to further it uh you know to be frank I think at least reading the Kind of Denver beat writers. If he didn't play special teams, I'm not sure if he still would have really been on that team last year. Uh, so for for me, it's something I'm I'm really interested to see how he develops under the with the Giants. I think that as a third wide receiver, it's something that that Shermer didn't really have last year as well. He had two really good wide receivers at one and two, but there was a fair it was a good amount of drop off to Jarius Wright. So I think honestly, I think he could be better than Wright, and I think it's going to be interesting um, how they how they feature him. I think he could play
1: lone X wide receiver uh, on the on the weak side of the offense. Yeah, and before we jump into Hunter Sharp, because we'll also definitely dive into him, I wanted to touch a little bit on Lattimore's, But and I'll, and, I'll, Lattimer, and I'll be the first to say it right now, and you guys can hold me to this. I think it's going to be his job, and he's going to run away with this, in my opinion. Um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, why uh, I, ha- I have him over Hunter Sharp and Roger Lewis and guys like that. But you know, what I've seen from Latimer is this. Here's a guy who admittedly said, I was not a pro when I entered the NFL, and it makes sense because... He really rose fast at Indiana. That's where he played big, uh, big at the, in the Big Ten at Indiana. That's where he plays college football. Here's a guy, like I said, who admitted I wasn't ready to be a pro. He said that after signing with the Giants. You know, I didn't apply everything I need to uh, from a work ethic standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, from film work standpoint as a wide receiver, to my game until last season. And then last season with the Broncos, you know, the first season where he had any decent amount of snaps, he played 380 snaps, a career high on offense. In 2017, before that, you know, he had a season of 37 snaps as a rookie, not no more than 250 any other season. And during this 2017 season, with an extended run, he set career highs in his catch rate, 70.4% of balls thrown his way, of catchable balls thrown his way, and yards per reception, 15.1 yards per reception. These are numbers according to Pro Football Focus. So we're talking about a guy who, put it all together last season. He still wasn't very featured in an offense that, you know, didn't move the ball through the air with Case, uh, not Case Keenum, with Trevor Simeon and the mess of a Broncos offensive line and behind, obviously, still Emmanuel Sanders and Damaris Thomas. But, you know, here's a guy who was expected to come in as a rookie with Bader Manning, like you say, and play in a in, a, in, a, in an offense that has wide receiver option routes, similar to what Kevin Gilbride, I assume, ran back in the day with the Giants, where, you know, it can work if you're on the same page with the quarterback, but it's hard to get on the same page with the quarterback if your work ethic is impeccable from day one because you're working with Peyton Manning. So I think that Lattimore is a guy who will win this job on the outside because what he's going to be able to do in that role you just talked about, that loan X role, um, is block on the outside. He hasn't been an elite blocker, but he has earned above-average blocking grades throughout his career, according to Pro Football Focus. He has the size to do it on the outside. And then, finally, in minicamp, in that three-day minicamp, he actually had three touchdown receptions from Eli Manning, and they were all kind of red zone drills where he kind of showed off that 39-inch vertical leap. Here's a guy who's going to see single coverage the entire year. I don't expect him to be a focal point of this passing game. I don't expect him to be a big have a big role in the passing game, but I expect him to make plays when football comes his way. And do you have any reason, Nick, to believe that I could be wrong about this and that Hunter Sharp, for example, or maybe even Roger Lewis or somebody from the free agent market can surpass him? Uh,
2: you know, I think that's – it's tough. Uh, you know, Hunter Sharp, you're talking about a guy who's 5'11", um you know, was on the same Denver team. Um, he was drafted and he was an undrafted, excuse me, in 2016. So, you know, not for the same amount of time. He's more of a deep threat type. You know, a guy ran a 4-5-1 on the 40. Quick, quick. He's very quick off the line, good initial burst. Outside of that, it's not meaning to criticize him because I think his speed is definitely very strong and he's a punt returner, which again, there is there is a bit of a theme with this Giants team, with their free agents that they're bringing in, these guys can all play special teams. And I right. absolutely love that. Um, and uh, But getting back to Hunter Sharp for a second, you know, same type of guy. He's a good blocker, not a great blocker. Uh, but his size to me is, is is an issue. Not just the 5'11", 198, but the way he plays within that. His frame is fine, but it's just he's not an overly physical guy. and And both physical corners can kind of take him. And I think blockers coming downhill can – sorry, defenders coming downhill – uh, can 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 uh, can take him and the other side of this is what you know where, where he struggled a bit um, It's almost a little bit like Russell like Shepard uh, like Russell right. Shepherd, uh, In terms of being a smaller guy that in traffic he, his hands are not unbelievable and a guy like that needs to Needs to needs to catch the ball And so what you saw with the, with the Denver film from last year where he did play a fair amount um, last year uh, just you know, some drops that you know you want you want to see completed. You know, tough catches that you want him to be your guy. And so for for me, Hunter Sharp, I'm looking at maybe a wide receiver five, wide receiver four, but kind of best case um, with Shepard ahead of him at at this point. And again, oh, yeah. and, and again, Pretty Camp fair. and and I, 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 best way to say it, I guess both Shepard's ahead of him, um, right? Yeah. And, and and Camp uh, with Camp, obviously a lot of things can change, but I think that's going to be a tough spot for him to for him to crack.
1: No doubt. And we're talking about a guy, Hey, he's making a lot of plays in spring practices, but again, there's no pads on, there's no live contact. And again, he reminds me a lot of Tavares King and the kind of the role he's had with the giants over the past few seasons before, obviously signing with the Vikings this off season, kind of that deep third who can take the top off the defense, but that's not as important uh, if they're going to be using, you know, different vertical concepts with Odell Beckham jr. On the outside and potentially throwing shepherd on the outside this season. And, you know, you look at like you said, you mentioned it best. <laughs> Sterling Shepard, five foot ten and a half. Odell Beckham, five foot eleven. You want to put a guy like Latimer with those guys. You don't want to put a guy like Russell Shepard on the field too often, or a guy like Hunter Sharp, guys who you know can't beat the press as well, can't you know physically block the boundary as well. Right. So I think that. Definitely. I think Latimer definitely has the edge there. And you mentioned an excellent theme, how a lot of these free agent signings have had special teams experience, but also special teams, you know, success. We're talking about Latimer, who last year, Vance, uh, Vance Joseph, the, the head coach of Denver Broncos said, he's my pick for the all pro gunner of the year. Uh, that's how impressed he was. And then, obviously, Michael Thomas is a guy who, you know, we talked about competing for the safety spot, but he's also won the Special Teams Player of the Year Award from from Pro Football Focus in three of the last four seasons. And another interesting theme that I've actually noticed uh, with these signings – actually, hold on, sorry. I just had – Lost my train of thought real quick because I was thinking about Michael Thomas. We'll get, we'll get back to that because he totally has an will.
2: effect on some people, man. You lose, <laughs> you lose your thought. It's hard. Man. Yeah, exactly. Um, it like
1: that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, what I was going to say is another interesting theme with a lot of these free agent signings is that they had, they came from teams where the coach is now on the coach is now on the Giants. So for example, Cody Latimer and Hunter Sharp, they played on the Denver Broncos. Now the Denver, the Denver Broncos coach then was Ty tobert now he's the wide receivers coach of the new york giants we're talking about you know curtis riley a guy we mentioned before who's really impressed during minicamp potentially could you know could have a role on defense in the big nickel at safety he played with the giants uh you know cornerbacks coach and then obviously lou anna Anur- and the guy who we mentioned before a guy whose name i still can't pronounce and may never be able to uh you know saw michael thomas up close mostly in a special teams role with the dolphins and said look this is a guy who can help your team as a safety. So I really like that kind of the inside information there. Even Thomas McGee, their special teams coach, a uh, special teams coordinator, brought in Teddy Williams, the cornerback who's been a special teams ace in the past for the Carolina Panthers and will probably fit fill a similar role again on the back end of that Giants roster this season. So that's another theme that really intrigued me about this offseason. But for now, we're going to dive into another position battle that's obviously, you know, the mo- one of the most publicized for the diehard Giants fans, at least through minicamp, and that's the center position because, you know, it was expected to be a runaway for Brett Jones, a guy who came in for Weston Bridgeburg last season, was one of the best pass blockers in the league, at least according to Pro Football Focus, um, but now he's actually seeing less reps with the starting lineup than John Halapio, the former two- 2016 undrafted free, or I'm sorry, six-round pick of the New England Patriots, um, so what have you seen from both of those? And again, remember guys, there's not a lot of game tape on on on, on, Jalapio. There's definitely some game tape on Jones, but what is your what are your thoughts on the center position battle and training camp?
2: Gotcha. Yeah, I focused a little bit more on Jalapio just because uh he just seemed kind of interesting that he was getting the time. Um and then there was that great article this past week, which we'll throw in the show notes, too, about how Jalapio and Jones are actually really good friends and pushing each other in this, uh, in this competition, which to me just kind of talks about the new Giants versus the old Giants of last year uh, in terms of the team. Uh, anyway, uh, Jalapio went to Florida. He's 6'3", 315, so really pretty good size, very good length. I, mean, I didn't dig up his arm length, but when he in, on, on film, you know, his size is imposing, which is kind of interesting for a guy uh, competing for the center position. Um, that size to me gives him versatility across the rest of the line. Uh, he was drafted in the sixth round by the New England Patriots. Uh, for me, what I saw as positive uh, He in gap schemes, he pulls pretty well, has good athleticism um, against uh, really anyone that the front seven can, can put, uh, put on him in, in any position for that matter, in my opinion. I think, I think this guy could even play backup tackle, basically. Uh, so much has been made of outside zone wrinkles this past year. One play where the center and the guard actually lead in the alley, I could see him him running in either, um, either, either of those positions. Uh, so just real good athleticism, um, and he's got okay use of hands at the point of attack. Um, he showed a lot of athleticism towards blitzing, uh, blitzing. Guys blitzing in the run game, uh, making real good um, lateral movement, side to side, and kind of deflecting. And this is I'm all talking about that basically the, the Washington Redskins game from Week 17. Uh, the Redskins front uh, threw some wrinkles at the Giants, and he handled it pretty well. Where he struggles, he struggles a little bit with reach blocks and zone. Um, his timing and use of hands in in zone blocking, it's a little off. It's a little uncoordinated. Uh, has some issues maintaining balance through contact. I think that's a little bit to do with his frame, and more to do to with more to do with the bigger thing which to me, which is the biggest issue, was his stance. Um, he didn't really seem to have a ton of bend or a great bend in the lower body. And f- what I where I saw is, you know, for him to get optimal pad level as a bigger guy against, you know, defenders coming from down low to you know be that you know, for a low man to win, he had a, he ended up lowering his head a lot. And not by a massive amount, but just enough where it's it led it to weaker engagements where you could see his shoulders rolling forward and and he, he missed some targets in that way because when you do that you kind of lose your vision a little bit, it seems. And, uh, you know, I think that's something that O-line coach Hal Hunter is going to have to work on. Um, coming from as a center, I think that that will be a little more negated uh, after snapping the ball. I think that, again, his fundamentals left have to be home, too, because you're basically – you lost the hand at the get getoff, uh, you know, since you are snapping. Uh, and, uh, but I do think, you know, projected for him, I think he can win this battle, and I think it's going to be really close. And I think, never, you know, nonetheless, whether he wins it or not, I think he's the sixth lineman really no matter what. Um, I think Greco plays has, is very, very good and you know, as a as a much different type of player, an older veteran who, you know, both of these guys, Greco and Jalapio play, um, you know, they they pull really well. obviously the Giants want to run man schemes. These guys fit that. So I like the scheme fit for both and especially Jalapio. But um,
1: you know, I do think that he'll be that 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 six man on the line for sure at least. Yeah, no doubt. And you talk about what he's able to do from an athletic standpoint. And I really, what really stood out to me with Halapio is his story. I mean, this is a guy who obviously was out of the NFL for a little while when the Patriots caught him and he was working at a car dealership at the time, but, was doing three hour training sessions before nine to five, and then another training session at night after this is a guy who never gave up on his dream and it's finally starting to pay off. Um, we've seen the success that Dave Gettleman, giant general manager, has had in the past, finding offensive linemen, and he could see something that he likes from, you know, like you talk about an athletic standpoint, the upside standpoint. You know, in the NFL, a lot of these guys end up sticking on rosters and having careers based on the ability to do one thing very well, better than others. Because the rest, they can kind of come around to. Or if you can do that one thing very well, better than others, it's enough to help you you know, make, make, you know, have success at the NFL level. So I'm definitely interested to see that because it's really a battle that's going to come down to wh- what kind of direction the Giants want this offensive line to go. We know the type of player Brett Jones is. We know the type of player John Hoppio is. They're very different t- options at center. Um, and I actually think you're right. He's going to make the roster regardless. Both players will make the roster Regardless, but I do think that personally, I think that there's only one roster spot even open uh, for this offensive line. And we can touch a little bit more on this as we move forward through the offseason. But as of now, I think that both Lapio, Jones, and Greco are really locked for this roster. I think what it's going to come down to is that eighth and final offensive line spot. It's either going to be Chad Wheeler or the former out of USA, obviously, uh, from last offseason, or a guy they sign in camp, you know, a, a veteran to play that, to fill that swing tackle role. But um, we're going to actually transition now to the last part of today's show, or not the the second and last part, I should say. We have one little thing at the end. We're going to transition to breaking down one more concept in Pat Shermer's offense. Today we're going to look into the mesh concept of Shermer's offense. So, Nick, I want to hear your breakdown on this. Uh, How often is this concept used, and what can we expect going forward in the 2018 season with it?
2: Yeah, sure. So the mesh concepts. No play is more representative of the air raid, actually, than the mesh concept. Most people don't realize that the Air Raid and West Coast offense both have the same roots in uh, the old BYU offense under Lavelle Edwards. I think it was in the late 40s slash early 50s. Uh, So anyway, uh, coming out of that, both Air Raid and West Coast look to get guys in space. It's kind of the goal of the crossing routes and the shorter, shallow routes. And so starting off with Mesh, if we can kind of break this down, um, we're going to envision this out of 11 personnel. So 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end. And then, thus, three wide receivers. Uh, the name of the play uh, refers to the two wide receivers on opposite sides in the field. It's usually Y and X. So X being the the, uh, the the split end, as well as Y, whether it's a tight end or a slot receiver, or it could be two slot receivers for that mm-hmm. matter. And both of those receivers run shallow crosses in opposite directions. So they basically if you think about envision that they would almost be kind of colliding and that's kind of the goal the rule is that the y player or the player on the strong side sets the depth of the mesh and meaning he works to whatever amount of yards he wants deep down the field usually it's somewhere between five and eight while the other wide receiver's job is to come directly underneath him in the cross so that it's so close the goal is that they're so close that they can actually slap hands it's essentially a rub route now Why do they want to slap hands? Because the rub route basically makes it so if the defense is playing man, there's virtually no way or almost impossible for the man coverage to stay with both crossing wide receivers uh, in that. It's a natural pick in other words. Natural pick, correct. And so um, now for the rest of the routes that are involved here, it kind of depends on who's running it because there's many different versions of mesh in the NFL right now. Um, We'll start with – Basically, what at the so so the mesh is these two crossing routes coming out of the middle of the field. That's actually not the primary read in the route. The Z wide receiver is the primary read or an alert read uh, in in both cases, depending what he's doing. He's usually the running a deep post or a deep corner or a deep out route. So for the Giants, if you can imagine the Z wide receiver we're talking about OBJ, and basically it's kind of Manning's job to see what the coverage is and see if he likes that deep safety throw. Which he honestly this year he may. Um, and we're, so we're talking about a you know 15 20 yard post route down the field uh the second read usually is what the running back does and this is where it gets really interesting and kind of a big reason why i picked this um this play to break down the running back traditionally runs in my opinion traditionally runs a wheel route or a rail route and so you're talking about and most of the time this run out of shotgun doesn't have to be with the running back coming from the backfield, getting uh, pressing horizontally, making that coverage, whether it's zone or man, usually a linebacker or safety, come out wide and then going north. And with new running back, Saquon Barkley running that route, that's that it's gonna be pretty devastating. And we know that we've seen that in practice. It's been talked about on Twitter, and guys like Dan have been all over it, where you know Barkley's flashing in this in this route. And that's usually the second read. And again, it could be the primary in some offenses. Um, and so those two parts, those two dynamics actually are pretty deadly within the concept itself. And, you know, many people would ask, okay, so what's kind of the point of the mesh? The mesh is almost like a, a visual distractor to zone players by these two players crossing the eye lines of the, of the zone. And then in man, it's to provide the third read in the, uh, the third read for the quarterback or sometimes the second read, which is one of those crossers to the strong side of the field, um, is going to be open. I'm going to say no matter what, it's very hard to defend that 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 wide receiver at that point, especially if the quarterback rolls that way just a touch. Uh, so you see three good options. It is a full five-player read. The um, Like I said, the, the last route in this, or the last part of this would be you know, oftentimes something over the middle after the two crossers go through the zone. So the Eagles, for example, uh, in the Super Bowl, they ran this a lot. I think it was over nine times, actually. Their, um, their other... their their other guy ran basically a sit route, which is a diagonal route going to the middle of the field where he turns and sits in the wake of space created by the two crossers uh, coming in, coming past each other. Um, I think it's pretty devastating to to really any coverage. Many guys um, make the point that against cover two, it's a little difficult because cover two is – Two on two over, and either four or five underneath defenders, and those guys are kind of right where the mesh is, and they're not going to be just not going to be uh, following um, the uh, or trailing the uh, the the crossers. So cover two, it's a little bit of a headache against cover two, but I still think that sit route in cover two is very very uh, deadly. And against everything else, I think it's tough. Against, man, I think it's tough. I think it, this is a route where I think if the defense knew it was coming, <laughs> kind of like how teams did with the Eagles because they ran it so much in the playoffs, it's still difficult to stop even within that. And, uh, yeah, I think for, for, the, for the Giants this year, you know, it's something that Pat Shermer featured last year, and it's something that takes the best elements of, of, of where, the, where the Giants are right now. It's Ingram as a crosser because he'd be one of those crossing routes. It's – Barkley as on the wheel route and it's OBJ with the deep post. And you
1: throw all that together and I think it's I think it's I think it's hard to defend. Right. And you think about all the different variations of this route. Like so you can use Ingram as the crosser, Shepard as a crosser. You can use Ellison or Adams or whoever is in, you know, or if they're going through receivers, Latimer to sit in that uh that almost that stop route you talked about when once it clears out or you can really use Ingram to sit in that zone if you know if teams are playing the cover 2 like you said but even when teams are dropping in cover 2 it's still going to be difficult to to fend Saquon Barkley on the wheel route because we've seen it all throughout practice Barkley's destroyed Olivier Vernon and Kareem Martin the Giants two outside linebackers and against all these teams that play 3-4 it's going to be really difficult to contain Barkley on this wheel route. And then you also just talk about, you know, teams used the cover two against the Giants an incredible amount last season, basically all game because they didn't, they, you know, they dared the Giants to run. Is that going to be so easy this season with Will Hernandez, Nate Solder, maybe John Jalapio in the middle, um, you know, Patrick Omame, an extra blocker in Ellison, and then Saquon Barkley in the run game? I don't think it's gonna be as easy to just sit and drop and cover two like teams have in the past. So I'm not as worried, you know, about the cover two, you know, you know, kind of stymieing this route to say, or this route concept to say, but I'm very excited hearing about that because I saw it work all, you know, not only with the Eagles, but with Pat Shermer and the Vikings, this is something I constantly, even myself noticed. And I don't have the same kind of, you know, game film advanced view of the game as you do, Nick. I'll admit that I'll be the first to admit that, but I saw, I, you know, this is something I noted right away when the Giants first hired Shermer. So, and something to be very excited about moving forward to this giant's offense. and did you want to touch on anything more with that or should we should we get to the last uh, aspect of the show?
2: The other side of it too, I think that's an interesting thing you bring up with um, with guys playing too deep against Eli. Teams definitely I've seen I've seen a few examples. teams like to do that to Eli because he gets you can kind of confuse him a little bit cover too deep can rotate into a lot of different coverages and I don't mean to go on a tangent here, but
1: what No, we love it. But what's
2: what was interesting is this year with Shermer, with so many predefined reads, I think that's going to take a lot of that away because he's going to have a, a pretty clear defined way of, of doing things pre-snap, kind of no matter what teams do at the snap. And that's where you know, it, it, you're know you simplifying things for your players and allowing them to play by hoping or getting, allowing your players to get into space to make plays. It's different than... Kind of relying on three and five step drops, quick drops to beat teams to the punch, almost. I guess it's kind of a good way to summarize what McAdoo was doing. So, I, it's interesting. I noted on film last year that it, that too deep against Manning, he kind of was always a little uneasy. And you know, I think that this is something where, yeah, this doesn't match up great for Mesh. But like we said, it's like there are other answers here that you know are in the progression that 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 he can find because he's gonna he's gonna be in a much different position.
1: Yeah, and Nick, definitely never cut yourself off again because that was my favorite point you made on this whole podcast because that's exactly what you were right about. McAdoo's whole concept of his offense was beat the team to the punch, and in that situation, if defense does a good job of disguising their coverage and making a quick change post-snap, uh, you know, it could lead to an interception from Eli Manning, an errant pass, just because, you know, that's the style of the offense. Three and five-step drops, get the ball out quick. Five or six sometimes – well, not, not six, it was about – five receivers running routes. That was the old Mac of offense. He very rarely used an extra player in pass protection. He, only, he almost always used his running backs on pass routes and almost never, if ever, used max protection. And that's all going to change with Shermer as well. Like you said, more defined reads, a different style of offense that really relies less on getting the ball out quick. And like you said, I like I like what you just said there, beating the defense of the punch. Cause that's not really a good style for moving an offense. We've seen, you know, even the Packers offense struggle in Mike McCarthy scheme with this, with a guy like Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, and that should really never happen. So before we close out the show, I just wanted to give a little quick hot take on the Odo Beckham Jr. potential holdout. There's been one anonymous report suggesting Beckham could hold out in training camp, although Beckham himself said, I will not be holding out. Last offseason, after Beckham skipped voluntary, I repeat, voluntary OTAs, before returning for last season's minicamp, he said – I have no interest in ever holding out. I've seen what play, I've seen it happen with players before, and it has very little to no progress. Um, you don't gain anything by holding out. I'm not the type of player who will hold out. So I'm going to choose to believe Beckham's ex- exact words rather than an anonymous report. I hope you guys do too. I don't see any chance of Beckham holding out. And, you know, you think back to the last time this happened with the Giants, and that was the 2008 season after the 2007 Super Bowl. When plaques go, Burris wanted a new deal because <laughs> he was set to make like three ten million over the next three years. These are old, old school NFL contracts back in 2008. Also the Giants signed plaques, like one of the greatest free agent bargains ever. That was still during a Corsi's run as general manager. Um, you know, obviously, Jerry Reese wouldn't be able to do it, uh, as we've seen from some of his contracts. But Plax, you know, didn't. <laughs> there was different times. Plax basically rode the bike throughout the entire training camp after skipping minicamp um, and taking the fines. And then the Giants, just before the start of the season, kind of ripped up his deal and gave him a new one. So I wouldn't worry about it. The Giants are a team that, that tend to take care of their players. I think Beckham knows that I think there's going to be some progress towards a contract that will eventually be signed for the start of the the regular season. So I have no issue worrying about a holdout. Nick, do you have any, anything to add there? You know, I, uh,
2: yeah, (laughs) a little, but uh, I actually wrote a piece um, and inside the pylon and my goal Right, uh, this was maybe three or four months ago. My goal was to dig up the film for Giants fans that would kind of say, "Hey, like OBJ is a great player, but if he happens to get traded, it's okay because." And I went, right. into, I went into that with that goal. And after watching his tape, it was especially in the fit with Pat Shermer's offense. It was so. Just hands down, like, of course this guy's gonna want to be there, and of course Pat Shermer's gonna want him there. It was such kind of like a it's just a really easy match for a guy like that. And it adds another element that Shermer hasn't had. business side works itself out longer term. I don't know, but this from a schematic fit perspective, it's harder to find a better, a better guy, a better receiver, to be honest. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, you know, I I think that, you know, I think that's I agree. I really
1: tend to agree. Yep. And That's going to be it today for the show, folks. I do appreciate you tuning in. I know Nick appreciates it as well. We've got another four weeks to go before training camp kicks off, or a little less than four weeks now. The rookies will actually report first on July 22nd. Rookies, quarterbacks, and a select group of veterans. And then on the 25th, everyone shows up. Training camp kicks off for the Giants. So we may or may not do a couple more of these before camp, uh, maybe looking at some different position battles, any news that pops up if the Giants sign anybody. But until then, I do appreciate you guys following in. Uh, I'm going to sign off on that. Nick, do you have any parting words?
2: Uh, no. Um, I kind of alluded earlier in the introduction. Um, I actually was just uh, picked up at cover CoverOne.net uh, to write exclusively for the Giants, X's and O's. Um, so that'll start basically this week pretty soon. And my first topic is Darian Thompson. So I'll give uh, the full breakdown there and the full film breakdown there which will be fun and basically looking to uh, write up write as much as I can on the giants there and and kind of go from there. So still finding my work on there or the or on Twitter at teammanic21 um where I'm basically trying to spend most of my time focusing on <coughs> giant X's and O's and <coughs> excuse me got a little a little bug in my throat. And um yeah besides that uh you know looking forward to uh, to coming back and doing this again.
1: Yeah, no doubt, guys. And if you guys do want to see more of my work, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL. It's D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. Obviously, you can find all my work on giantsand 247 sportscom And then please, guys, if you do love the show, if you do enjoy it, this is episode three, do us a favor, go on iTunes, subscribe to the show, download all the shows you haven't previously listened to, listen to those, but just at least download them. And give us a five-star rating or any kind of rating and review. That will help us move up the algorithm. That'll help more people see the show. And that'll ultimately help grow the podcast. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And on that note, go Giants.
0: mypatriotsupply.com